Today is a very special day for believers around the world. It doesn't usually fall on a Sunday. Uh, today is Epiphany. And uh, we kind of let that go by sometimes without giving it uh, a lot of thought at all. For those of you who follow uh, Colson's Breakpoint, uh, I think it was John Stone Street I read this morning, where he talked about um, one place uh, where they, on the 6th of January, put out hay for the, uh, the camels. <laughs> which aren't there, of course, but as a kind of a symbol of the meaning of this day. January 6th, according to our church calendar, uh, for whose accuracy I can't vouch too much, is the day when we celebrate the arrival of the wise men, the Magi, when they came to Bethlehem. And I'm going to read from the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel uh, to look at that together this morning. And in respect to God's Word, why, why don't you stand with me, please? From Matthew chapter 2, in the name of Jesus, we read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You may be seated. I think it was uh, some years ago on the radio where I heard uh, a speaker, I think kind of uh, oh, jokingly maybe, uh, saying we need to leave our wise men out of our nativity scenes at home because they weren't there. 
They weren't there at the, in the inn. They weren't there at the manger. Uh, weren't there for Christmas, were they? Uh, it tells us here, notice that in verse 11, that they came into the house where the child was with Mary. And, and we certainly get the impression from this is that this appearance happened sometime later. Um, the other thing that <laughs> uh, gives us difficulty, I suppose, as I remember this radio preacher saying, is that it doesn't ever say there were three of them. My, we even know their names, don't we? <laughs> In tradition, as it comes through, just says that there were some who, who came. So we've got our manger scene at home. Uh, my wife made it, I, I suppose, probably about 50 years ago, almost. And we put it out, and the wise men are there too. And uh, I don't expect we're ever going to change that. Let, let's leave them in, okay? Leave them in. Because in, in one, I think, very, very real sense, they were there in our place. They were there in our place. They came late, and, and so we shall always come late too, don't we? They're unnumbered, and so is the multitude of people unnumbered who have, uh, who have come to know Jesus and worship him across the centuries. They brought their gifts. And so we, we try to do that sometimes, too. Their gifts were fit for a king. I'm not so sure ours always are, are they? There, there's a legend, by the way, that uh, what they gave them was a provision for Joseph to take his family and escape into Egypt when Herod ordered the slaughter of all those babies during that time. We forget that dark side to that Christmas story sometimes, don't we? But they came to worship him. Verse 11 tells us, fell to the ground. Fell to the ground and worshipped him. We're reminded in our Christmas stories of, of the worship of the shepherds and their uh, uh, kind of a mangy bunch Surprising that they would be the first ones to come to worship the king. But we've got a high class of people here now, don't we? We've got people who are honored, uh, but who represent something else. Who represent something else. They represent people who are strangers. They represent people who are foreigners. They represent people who are not Jewish. In other words, they, I suppose, represent us, don't they? Yeah. Well, we've taken down the tree at our house. Real tree, thank you. None of this fake stuff. And uh, it shed needles all across the floor. Because we put it up too early. 
this year. Was, was there something kind of quirky about the calendar this year uh, where uh, uh, we ended up with a longer Christmas season or something because, of, I don't know, Thanksgiving or whatever it amounted to? Anyway, our tree was very dead and left a long tray of ne- uh, needles. And my wife said, uh, maybe this will be the last year for a real tree. And I said, no, no, don't even say anything like that. See? Uh, and we take down the tinsel, uh, strand by strand, and save it for next year. That's quirky too, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, got to have that on there. And looking over the ornaments as we put them away, probably each one of us, each one of them has some special meaning. The first ones on the top when we were uh, first married, our first Christmas together. One that reminds us of the uh, uh, loss of a grandchild. And uh, various others that were given to us by people, all, all special to us. And we think at this stage of life, Uh, Who's going to want them (laughs) when we aren't using them anymore? But so far, we still do. And by the way, while sweeping up the needles, uh, the vacuum cleaner gave out. And uh, so if you see some little needles on me somewhere, uh, please pardon me for that. I, I took part of it in and got a call saying that isn't the part that's broken. You need to bring the whole thing that's in. And so uh, we're waiting for word from the repair if we need a new vacuum cleaner or not. Huh? On top of it all. All right. Um, they were there in our place coming to worship and reminding us maybe because of this little space of time in between that even as they could come to worship the newborn king, So may you and I also come. So may you and I also worship. And for that reason, we're grateful for them, aren't we? They were outsiders like we are outsiders. They were strangers like we are strangers. And yet they were chosen in the plan of God to come and to bring their worship to the newborn king. I tried to strip away some of our, uh, well, I guess, prettiness as far as the scene is concerned there for the first Christmas. Uh, a birth of a baby isn't a, is it, is it a pretty thing? Uh, it's kind of a messy thing, isn't it? Yeah. And in my opinion, there's no such thing as a beautiful newborn baby. They, they, they all look incredibly Awful, don't they? Yeah. Um, When I saw my son first, I said, he looks like my homely Uncle Walter. (laughs) And he did. He got better looking over the years. Um, I tell future pastors in class uh, what to say when you see some of these really, really homely newborn babies. And you you can say... um, well, that's quite a baby, isn't it? You know, and you, you'll get by. You'll get by with that, I suppose, won't you? Yeah. Don't don't lie. All right. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a pretty scene, was it? And it was a smelly place. It was it was a barn. 
And one of the things that I, I have really tried to do during this Christmas season is, is to bring together the reality of the birth of Jesus Christ with the one whom we worship, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is God put on human flesh. And not human flesh of a... Uh, of, a, of an adult, not human flesh of a person that we would look to and admire and want to emulate, but a baby of all things. A baby. And I think it's uh, Athanasius in his uh, classic piece on the incarna incarnation coming out of the early church who, who writes about afterbirth in connection with the two who mentions that in connection with it. And he said, this, this is God taking on human flesh, not for himself, because, because he loves us so much. They came to worship him. And so we come to worship him too, don't we? They also remind us of a world still to be one for Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a lot of good work been done. Uh, missionaries have gone forth to the ends of the earth. That little new beginning there at Bethlehem in the land of Judah has, has extended and exploded and reached around the world. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ in all sorts of places. We read about China in our paper in the bulletin today, the struggles of new believers, and yet there's some some who dare to predict that before the Lord returns, China might have more Christians in it than any other country in the world. It's possible, isn't it? Even under persecution. And I remember the, uh, the Chinese believer some years ago who said, don't pray for us that persecution ends because it has made us stronger and it's causing us, causes us to grow. Maybe so. They remind us, these wise men, these magi, of a world still to be one for Christ. And a world right here, right here at home in our own community. What's the largest group of people today? <laughs> it's the, the nuns. Isn't that what they say? N-O-N-E-S. The people in the surveys and the rest who don't have any religious, uh, fastest growing, any, any religious connection of any kind at all. People who drive by our buildings and wonder what's going on there. People who, who maybe don't really care what's going on, under, what's going on in our church buildings because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with them. And it doesn't seem to have anything to do with life. And they are our neighbors. They are the people we work with. And in some cases, maybe even members of our own family. There's a world still to be one for Jesus Christ. And these 
Magi who made that journey so long ago remind us that they're out there and remind us that by the working of the Spirit of God, there's still some of them, still some of them who are open, still some of them who will hear. And we want to see their number brought in to be complete before the Savior returns. We've got work to do, brothers and sisters, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And I think it, in God's plan, it's no accident today that we have an invitation to come to the Lord's table on Epiphany Sunday. Because coming to the Lord's table and receiving Receiving what he has for us there strengthens us for the battle, strengthens us for the journey, and strengthens us for the work to which he's calling us. I think I remember my, well, the first communion service, uh, I was sitting with my grandmother. Our church didn't have communion very often in those days. This was before the, the once a month thing came in. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, four times a year. The, some people went up. My grandmother didn't. And my grandmother was a, was a believer. Uh, and I turned to her, small child, and I said, Grandma, why, are, why aren't you going up there? And Grandma said, I don't know if I'm worthy. <laughs> did, did some of you grow up with anything like that anymore? Or is that all gone? No. Uh, are, you, are you worthy? In one of my congregations, uh, early in my ministry, they told me of a communion service where nobody went up. Nobody went up because the pastor hit them so hard in his message that one old gentleman told me nobody could measure up to what was required to commune. Are you sure that there's some sin that maybe you haven't confessed? Are you sure, positive, that there's some area of your life that hasn't been surrendered? And the whole thing was this crushing law that left the people. And then he said, then you can come. Who who, who would dare come under such such a, a load of law? In another congregation, the most number of people who communed during a year was on uh, Good Friday. And my secretary in the office said, you know why that is, don't you? I said, no, I haven't a clue. She said, that's because it's the people who have gone to every Lenten service. And then they feel like they're worthy enough to come to the Lord's table. (laughs) That's terrible. That's terrible, isn't it? So... What makes you good enough to come? 
What kind of a plea do you have that qualifies you to walk up and to receive the Lord's Supper this morning? Is it because of the promises that you've made? Is it because of all the good things that you can add up and done, your church attendance, your, your, the, the check you put into the offering plate this morning? Is it because of your scripture reading and your accumulated prayers? All of that? No. May I dare to say this morning, it's a shameful thing for you to walk up here today. Because you're saying, it's not because of any good within me. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. That gift that came that first Christmas in that newborn baby. That gift that was worshipped, miracle of faith, isn't it? By those those men, however many there were, who came from so far away to worship the newborn king. That gift is for me. That gift is for you. And, and without him, I have, I have no hope at all. I remember the old fellow at a testimony meeting once who got up with his Scandinavian accent and he said, brothers and sisters, we got, I can't even say it with the right trilled R, we got throne rights. There it came through. We got throne rights, he said, because of Jesus. And because of him, you and I have a right to come and to receive. And we need it, don't we? Don't, don't ever let it become some idle thing that, that you do because that's what we do on the first Sunday of the month. We sang it. I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour I need him. We come because we need him. We come because he is our hope. He is our plea. He is our present and covers our past. And he's our future. Isn't that good? And in some small way, perhaps, these magi remind us of that. And our coming prepares us for the task that they have left for us, that the world might come to know. Please pray with me now. Kind of an odd message today, isn't it, God? But this is what you've impressed upon my mind these days and laid upon my heart, and so we believe there's a purpose in it too. You have set a table before us, and we come, not because we've done what we've done, not because of what we promised to do, but we come because of the one who has done it all and the one on whose promises we rest, we trust. Strengthen us for your service at your table this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.